podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us, gang, as we roll into week four of the 2020 NFL season. I say roll in, not so rolling in Tennessee right now. More on that developing story. The game scheduled Monday, Tuesday. We're not sure. Either way, it's not happening on Sunday. COVID hitting the NFL for the first time this season. Phoebe Schechter in the house. Friend of the show. Great to have Phoebe's back. Uh, she is dropping by very shortly to talk about that. All the big news and, of course, previewing all the big games this Sunday. We're going to pick them all as well. So a week four preview special coming your way. If you haven't already, incidentally, check out our bonus pod this week. Rob Ninkovich, Super Bowl winner with the New England Patriots, uh, dropped by a little bit earlier on this week. He's part of the ESPN stateside crew now talking all things Patriots back in the day, working with Belichick, what he thinks of the latest incarnations. That's a bonus pod. If you haven't already, subscribe to us and you won't miss a trick. Right then, week four, a lot to be getting our teeth into. So let's get straight down to business. Phoebe, good to see you. Great to see you as well. And with sunny weather. <laughs> this is what we were just talking about before we, we click record. I'm in London and it has been miserable and grey for the week and certainly for the morning. We're recording this Thursday afternoon. The gods must know that Phoebe Schechter is coming on the show because five minutes before we start recording, the sun comes out. It's like we're back in August again. Exactly. I'm bringing the sunshine, the energy, whatever you need. <laughs> you always do. Uh, now, listen, we've got a ton to get into. We're going to uh, get into some big news, obviously talk about the COVID situation with, with the Titans uh, and a few other stories too. And then we're going to break down some of the big week four matchups and at the end, rattle through picks as well. So you'll be ready with your picks. Not that we're keeping score or anything like that, but uh, although Harry, I'm sure actually probably is keeping st- score <laughs> for me to show how badly I'm doing. Before we get to all of that though, congratulations are in order. <laughs> For your brilliant book, which I'm holding up now for the benefit of this video, I'm sure we'll push this out on social. Uh, Eden and the Dukes, the UK Dukes' first book. And yeah. it's terrific. And you very kindly sent me a copy. Both of my boys absolutely loved it. Do so they? If you are listening out here and you have uh, a son, a daughter, a little brother, a little sister, a niece, a nephew, friends with any of the above, then uh, this is the book for you. Tell our listeners more about it. Absolutely. So something that I'm really passionate about, obviously, is having people that look like me in roles. And uh, we were really passionate about having a book that has a female lead in it, uh, especially for children, you know, in order to let them know that, you know, they can, they can be whoever they want to be. And for us, we wanted to introduce the sport of American football, and we've done it via the flag football approach. It's hopefully going to be the Olympics one day. Mm. So for us to have a story about this little girl, Eden, who here's a, here's this crazy sport going on in the background and she wants to get involved with it. Um, and then tries out American football and absolutely falls in love with the team. And it's really, it means so much to us as well, because I think we're trying to, to show the world what a great sport this is. And also, you know, it's exciting to try new things. It doesn't have to be scary. And so we're just really proud of it. We're so excited to have it out there. And, and hopefully it gets more people involved in the sport and realize there's actually another version as opposed to what you watch on Sundays. It's brilliant. And uh, Jess Hill with the illustrations as well, uh, which are terrific. So if our listeners want to get a copy of it, get a hold of a copy of it, where do they head? Uh, just go to Amazon and mm-hmm. any Amazon literally across the globe. We're translating it into seven languages as well. So it can be used as a yeah, curriculum and used to teach children as well. So yeah, just go to Amazon and you'll be able to find it. Eden and Amazing. the Jigs. Eden the Jigs. Going global. I love it. And as I say, we'll push out uh, Link Marley and Tom and the boys on social. We'll push a link out to that across our channels. So congratulations, first things Thank first. Thank you so if, much. You mentioned flag football because a lot of our listeners will know you from you know, guest spots uh, on here and other shows in the UK will know you from your time coaching with the Buffalo Bills, your time with Team GB. But flag football is something you're really concentrating on at, at the moment. Two things on it. Firstly, you mentioned the Olympics. So how realistic is that? And what's the, the objective in terms of date? When would be a realistic Olympic uh, year for flag football to be introduced? So we've actually already made it to the next stage, which is getting into the World Games, which is in Alabama. So we're going to be having flag football, um, which would be amazing because men's and women's teams will be represented. And then the step after that would be looking for the 2028 Olympics because they're going to be held in Los Angeles. And uh, I don't know if you know, but basically 
every country that hosts an Olympics now gets the opportunity to choose a sport that represents them. So it makes sense being in the United States to have flag football. So actually it's a lot more tangible than it's ever been. That's terrific to hear. And then what, I mean, the earliest Olympics I can remember is the the 84, uh, uh, 84 LA Olympics and Carl Lewis, of course, absolutely tearing it up then. So that would be brilliant. And I guess the new stadium, the new LA stadium would be right at the forefront of that. So fingers crossed with that. Uh, And uh, the other kind of follow-up question with that, in in terms of your role with flag football in the UK, and I guess linking this back to, to the Eden and the Duke's book, are you noticing uh, a, a significant number of youngsters picking up flag football and a real growth in the sport? Massively. Um, and, you know, that's whether that's through NFL flag, who are doing a great job of promoting, not just in the US now, they're looking to move globally. But I think, again, it's a sport that kind of takes away the barriers of knowing the rules, the start-stop nature, actually the idea that it's mixed as well. So it's mm-hmm. not girls or boys, everyone can play together. And truthfully, people love the kind of American culture. So you can really show a lot of skills, a lot of athleticism, especially at younger ages. If we're talking about girls, for example, they tend to be really great at taking on those leadership roles. You know, it's age 10, 11. And they're also really good hand-eye coordination, whereas maybe the boys are growing, they're not quite there yet. So the the playing field is actually leveled. It's not like they've been in football academies their whole life. It's everyone's coming into the sport. It's totally new and people are really excited about it and they love to play it. Plus you don't need much equipment. Really, you just need a football. Yeah, that's key, isn't it? Just so accessible in, in, in that respect. Well, uh, congrats with all of that and, uh, and looking forward to seeing that growing and growing. Uh, but let's get down to business now because there's so much to talk about the NFL. We've got to start with the Titans and this uh, story that broke in in, in the last 48 hours. Uh, four players now and five staff members uh, testing positive for for COVID-19, which means that the Tennessee game against the Steelers definitely not going ahead on Sunday. At the time of recording this, the NFL are saying Monday, Tuesday. uh, They haven't clarified that yet. Phoebe, it was always inevitable this was going to happen, right? Uh, And I guess that we're hoping that these cases are few and far between during the season. But the absence of an NBA-star bubble means that it's inevitable there are going to be more. And this is a difficult thing for the NFL to navigate because it's not like baseball when it happened to MLB earlier in the season when they fell behind the eight ball a bit with outbreaks and games cancelled. They could double down and have double headers and they could cram games in to, to hit the target. The NFL won't be able to do that. No, and that's a really great point. I mean, it's hard enough as is to have one game a week because you've got the recovery periods and then you've got to game plan for the next team already. And, you know, it'd be really interesting to see how they make it up, what that does for bye weeks, how that affects, Mm. you know, divisions and the rest of the schedule. Um, But there's just no way that you could have NFL teams in bubbles. Even if you brought in, let's say you were bringing the Steelers in and you wanted them to be in the location for a week, the way that that affects so many different things for that team and the amount of people involved It's just not realistic. So I'm really interested to see how the NFL actually ends up handling this because, you know, this is really going to kind of set that blueprint going forwards for what if this happens to another NFL team? Well, the other thing I guess on it as well is assuming the game does go ahead Monday or Tuesday, right? I'm interested to get your perspective on how much of a, a disadvantage that is for Tennessee, right? Because obviously they've got players missing. Daquan Jones, the, the, the most notable, I guess, because he, he's a starter, although um, uh, Correa's out as well. I think he was the fourth player. So, you know, that, who, you know who's, who's seeing some action, but it, it's big player out of the defense. That's, that's obviously a disadvantage. But in terms of preparation, so guide us through a, a game week and given the fact they've had to close their facility at least till Saturday, they say, how much of a, an impact this is going to have on their game preparation? Massively. I mean, if, if we just run quickly through what a, a game week looks like, Monday, you're reviewing film, so that's, that's kind of okay. You can do that from home. Tuesday, the players have off, but all the coaches are collaborating, game prepping for who they're playing next. Wednesday, the guys are in. We're doing walkthroughs. The practice squad guys are studying who they're going to be for the week. We've got full-on practice. Um, Thursdays, you're hitting people, which mm. all, we already know they need to do more of based more of. off of you know, looking at missed tackles and all of that so far. Friday, we're then uh, going walkthroughs and practice. Saturdays, you have walkthroughs again. Uh, and then Sunday, you're, you're playing a game. So 
I mean, missing a week is, is going to massively affect a team uh, and, and not for the better, that's for sure. So Tennessee are going to be up against it, even if the game goes ahead. If it doesn't, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they reschedule it, when they reschedule it. And as you rightly say, it's a great point that bye week inevitably is going to be the first place they look. But then do they get given another bye week? Are the playoffs delayed? All of these things are up for grabs, I guess, in this crazy world we're living in right now where we don't quite know what next week is, is going to bring. On a positive note, they played the Vikings, of course, at the weekend, uh, the Titans, and no positive test there, no pun intended. So uh, <laughs> the, um, the, that is, is good news that in this incident, it seems to have been touchwood isolated to the Titans and a limited number of the organizations. So not, uh, a, a, it could have been a more significant outbreak. On a, an associated story that, again, broke in the last 24 hours or so, the raid is under fire at the moment because a number of players were at a fundraiser for, for Darren Waller. And uh, Darren Waller's had uh, very publicly talked about issues he's had in the past with addiction and, uh, to, uh, uh, and how he's tackled that so well. I mean, he was one of the players of the season last year. He's bounced back. Uh, and shown incredible strength and, and resolution to do that. And it's the measure of the man that he's now fundraising and becoming an advocate and supporting others in a similar situation with similar challenges. And his teammates had his back and were at yeah. this fundraiser. And they were seen, Phoebe, with at times with their masks down, right? So at a function, X number of people there, they should be wearing their masks. And they were to the most part, but a couple of instances they they weren't uh they let their dauber down a little bit said john gruden is this a bit of a, a do you think a, a, a hysterical overreaction to, to to call them out in the way that some people have is it uh is it entirely reasonable given what is going on in the world right now and also particularly what has happened in the nfl this week how have you read this story yeah and and i can definitely see it on both sides i mean i think foremost you have to think about the health and safety of others right and that's something that is a global issue, is making sure that we're not even just wearing the mask for ourselves, we're wearing it for others. And right. I think, you know, these athletes know, they know the rules, they know what they should be doing, and they know that they're always representing the club as well. Um, so, and they plus have, they have to know that there's always going to be people there that are going to scrutinize them. Um, so I can definitely see it in one way. On the other hand, it is tricky because as you and I know, how many times have we been out and be like, oh my gosh, I forgot my mask. Or, right. you know, you just... It's, only it's human beings, we're all fallible, right? And it's not like they were sort of at, you know, a club at three in the morning flagrantly breaking the rules. It was a little bit different. It completely agreed. And I think we need to just approach it with a bit of leniency. Mm. Um, you know, I'm sure they meant no harm by it. They had it on them. It just perhaps wasn't on them all the way, which we all do as humans. And I think that's the bottom line is that they are humans and they make mistakes. An, an associated uh, story is the NFL warning teams that they're going to come down heavily, maybe even remove draft picks if coaches uh, and other personnel on the sidelines aren't adhering to the rules throughout the game. Yeah, I saw that. And I mean, as we saw with Pete Carroll and getting these massive fines that are going on, the NFL are being really strict because obviously they don't want events like what's happening with the Titans to be going on. And I can understand why they're being so strict with it. Um, you know, and, and maybe that just means we have to be more creative with finding ways of, you know, almost having a, a mask police within the organizations right. or, you know, we have to do something in order to protect each other. I think that's a great point. I'm sure that will happen. I think there will be somebody designated on every team to do exactly that, to be monitoring it. I mean, it makes a huge amount of sense. Um, just from your time at the Bills and, and you know, your time in the game, you know a lot of players that, that are currently in the league right now, whether they're still at Buffalo or elsewhere. Have you spoken to them about how they feel about this, about playing, playing a season during the pandemic? Is it reluctant? they're doing it or is it business as usual and actually like a lot of us in life have managed to adapt and whilst none of us are wild about what's going on have managed to adjust and, and, and realign it what, what kind of feedback have you had from players that you know in the league yeah and it's been great to talk to them and see how they're getting on throughout all of this because again you know a lot of these players are also living on their own which mm. we have to keep in mind you know they're young guys they live by themselves and they've had to go through this pandemic as well um you know, I think they're just all really excited to have football back, to have something to focus on. I'm sure a lot of us feel that way just with work coming back. Even the social element of it for your mental health is so good. Um, 
so, you know, I think they really enjoy that. They're definitely missing having the fans and having the people there to support them. Um, teams I know are doing a great job of being really creative and in, in finding ways to get engagement from people and feel like they're really involved. But no, the, the players are, are excited. They also know that they kind of bring a sense of hope to people because, mm. you know, how long were we waiting for sport to be back or looking for something to look forward to? And Sunday football is that for a lot of people. And it's a way of life for a lot of people. I mean, even now, you're not allowed to have a lot of fans at games. But in Buffalo, for example, people are still trying to find ways to say to the players, hey, look, I'm really excited that you're doing this. Thank you for doing this. That really helps me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's been really, really acute over the last couple. Well, maybe it's because it's NFL and it's the sport we love the most. But, you know, at the same time, I love most sports and watching different sports gradually come back. Uh, and incidentally, that's reminded me, Harry, our producer, wants me to talk to you about Kabaddi at some point as well. So we've got to <laughs> remember not to forget that before we wrap things up. But just how much it's, um, as you rightly say, energized people and given them a focus and given them a release. And that's so important right now. And it's a great point you make as well, that I think is underestimated about the, how young a lot of these players are and they're on their own through this. I mean, you, yeah. you hear someone like LeBron talk who is you know a seasoned vet in his 30s that very worldly wise and has talked about the challenges of, of being in the bubble and, and that's one of the hardest things he's ever done yeah. and yeah you've got these 21 22 year old kids that are in the NFL for the first time dealing with yeah. you know on that actually I wanted to get your perspective on something that um, uh, Menelik Watson uh, discussed a couple of weeks ago on uh, my radio show where he's talked about, uh, and I think we've mentioned this a bit on the pod, but like I said, keen to get your take on it. He was talking about this in this class of rookies and how everyone to the most part before the start of the season said, mm, it's going to be harder than ever for them because of the, the preseason and, and everything that's happened. He said, actually, I think it might make a lot of things easier because of the lack of pressure that you're being dropped into this typical uh, alpha environment as a rookie and you're graduated in can, a little bit uh, more softly than you normally would be and actually that takes a bit of the edge off do you think that that's a lot in that and it's actually a really interesting point to hear it from you know really a player's perspective and yeah. you know because actually you look at it and you think think about all the zoom meetings we have now there's there's no one saying that because you're all on a screen together, it's not like this is a hierarchy, this person's here. You're literally just all your faces on a screen. Mm. So in some ways, I could see how that eases it in. From a coach's perspective, I definitely would have said it would have been harder for rookies because you've got all the playbook to learn without someone physically there to help you. You aren't able to do walkthroughs. I mean, when for me, you know, part of my role was installing our playbook with our rookies and every day we were doing walkthroughs together. Mm. So I couldn't imagine not having that actual physical response. Um, plus now you have to learn the ins and outs of the NFL. You've got meetings all day throughout OTAs as a rookie. You're there pretty much first thing in the morning till, you know, five or six at night, whether it's playbook stuff or it is actually leadership, finance, um, you know, medical. So there's a whole element to it, but I can definitely see what Menelik's coming from because then when you come together, you feel like you're already familiar with people mm. and you, you've built up those relationships. The only thing I, I think you would miss are those one-on-one -on -one conversations because if there were, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 of us on this call, it's not like I could just have a side conversation with you, Nat. I, yeah. you know, you're in an open forum still. So that's probably where I think maybe in some ways the relationship could get to a certain point. Yeah, that, you know, we're all feeling that or whatever we do, right? This just Zoom overload and yes, it's efficient and thank God we have the technology to be able to, to do that, right? But at the same time, it's not, a. I mean, it, it just isn't any kind of long-term replacement and missing out on so much just with basic interaction, you know? So uh, I think become being a young player at 21 going into you know, one of the biggest leagues in the world. It's a hell of an undertaking. So fair play to all the rookies out there who are dealing with it this year. Right, let's get, get down to business uh, a week four because there's a lot we've got to get into. We're <laughs> going to start with uh, all the teams that are 3-0. and We think that's kind of fair. Even Chicago. How <laughs> are they? 3-0. and uh, And we're going to start with the standout game of the weekend, though. Patrick Mahomes, fresh off that storming Monday Night Football performance. That shut up some of the critics, didn't it, against Baltimore. Uh, the Chiefs back home to Arrowhead to square off against the Patriots. And we got two of the 
the finest coaches the game has ever seen and very different coaching styles, of course, in Belichick and Andy Reid going together. And, and that's what Belichick, of course, will uh, have uh, overwhelmingly turning over in that brilliant mind of his, Phoebe, how you stop this Chiefs offense, which is even stronger this year. Now they've added uh, a, a better ground game. Uh, it was interesting hearing Bucky Brooks on this earlier in the week. He was talking about one of the presses Belichick's given in the build-up to the game. And he was saying, Belichick was saying, the issue with all these different offensive talents in Kansas City is not just how you deal with them one-on-one, but the fact that they switch personnel. They keep the same play a lot of the time and just mix up. So where they might have Tyreek Hill in one play, they run the same play, but have Kelsey in there. And, it's, and, and Belichick was saying that is maybe the hardest thing to deal with. Yeah, definitely. And it's exactly what you said. And, and sometimes we do that in Buffalo. I think, you know, Sean McDermott comes through Andy Reid and all of that. Right. And so we literally will have, you know, the same play and just change the personnel. So you might still have 21 personnel where you've got your two running backs and a tight end, but now, you know, the F is one person and, and the halfback is another. And that can completely make you overthink the situation because most of the time, if you're thinking, we call it window dressing. So if you have lots of window dressing, people motioning, moving around, you're like, oh my gosh, they're going to build up something. What are they playing at? And then they run something so basic or run the same play again. It's almost like an insult, isn't it? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, um, the key to beating Mahomes, if only we knew the, 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 the single answer to that, but it seems to be, and, and the Belichick's had some success in the past with this, is, is to, to try and keep him contained and, uh, and, and play as much man coverage as possible and take your chances with that. Now that's obviously predicated on your secondary and the speed within there, but this Patriots secondary stacks up reasonably well compared to, you know, many other teams with Kansas city. So you would think that's what they're going to look at trying to do, right? I would say so. And, and for the Patriots, they've always been a man defense kind of place and right. why not do what you're good at? You know, you can try and, alter your scheme so much to benefit people. But actually, if you do what your players are confident at and what allows them to play fast and they understand all the rules, you know, especially for someone like Patrick Mahomes, who, you know, he has a lot of weapons to go to. So that matchup factor of it, at least you can kind of plan ahead. Mm. Um, Even if they are just running the same play, but with different people, at least you have an idea of who those, who those players are going to be. And then making sure that your defensive line their pass rush is really containing him and not letting him outside the pocket, you know? So I think they will be fine. I am excited to see what this game brings. I think, I think Mahomes is so exciting to watch, you know, he's, he's really been a huge change for offenses within the NFL. Yeah. That's a, such a great point that I think he is that like we've seen, you know, dual threat players in the past, of course, and, and you know, a number of them playing under Andy Reid, right? Mike Vick and uh, uh, McNabb, of course, and, and even, going back to the nineties and Steve young, and you know, it's not like it's a, a new thing in isolation, but what in particular the chiefs are doing with, with Reed and, and Mahomes, it's next level stuff, isn't it? It's, it's incredible on the, on the Patriots D we had Rob Ninkovich on the show on Wednesday. And he was saying that uh, talking about this defense being very young and really significantly different from last year, which I, I guess got a little bit lost in the flood with Brady going cam coming in, everybody's obsession with offense anyway and number of players leaving through uh deals in the offseason of course a number sitting out through opting out because of covid and and nink was saying that one of the great things about belichick and working under belichick is how he adapts ideas around players and builds schemes around and for players as opposed to forcing players to fit into how he wants to do it which i thought was a really interesting point Yeah. And I think that's actually something for the general public who look at the Patriots, all they kind of see or hear is it's the Belichick way, or this is how it goes. But to actually hear it from his perspective and say, no, what's really happening here is he's looking at the players he has and building his scheme around that. And I mean, that's for me, I think that's the most successful way to do it, especially with the constraints we're in because of, you know, off-season deals, COVID, people opting out, you really do have to figure out who you have and how to make the best of that situation. Um, and, I, and it's exciting. And it's great to hear that from him because if you even look at European football or, or football in the UK, actually that's probably where people struggle the most. Do right. I have a scheme and get players or do I have the players and then choose a scheme? So 
to hear at that top level, I think should be really encouraging for everyone. Yeah, big time. Okay, let's try and put the case for the Patriots other than incredible coaching and, you know, an offense that, that I think everybody is uh, uniformly surprised at how effective it's, it's been so far. And it's great to see Cam back and healthy and, and getting close to his best. Uh, you know, and they aired it out against Seattle. They proved they can do that. They, uh, they ran all over Vegas, so they can mix it up here as well. And the Chiefs can be run on as well. So that's something that I think is going to be interesting. If they can establish the, the ground game early on and force the Chiefs a little bit back on their heels in that respect, then Cam has shown already in, in that game against Seattle that he's still got the arm and, and he can, you know, three for almost 400 yards in that game. So I guess that's how, offensively how the Patriots are going to attack it. Yeah. And I think you're right there. And, and again, it also, you know, Cam hasn't done as much running as he did perhaps years ago, but he still is a threat in that way. And he's, mm. you know, he's a physical guy. So you've got to respect that. But like you said, if you can kind of get that run game going, get the, the defense to kind of back off a little bit or come at you really, then actually you're going to have that pass game open and, and then you've got the idea of perhaps having Cam get involved. So it's, it's exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this game. Oh, me too. Which, uh, which way are you going? Are you th- I mean, the Chiefs are uh, touchdown favorites, right? Seven-point favorites. Yeah. And to be honest, I, I'm not trying to get on the bandwagon here, but I love the Chiefs right now, and I think they're explosive, and I really want to support them here. What about yeah. you? I think the Chiefs will win it, but I, I think seven points is quite a lot to be given. I think, I think it's tight. I think the Patriots keep it tight. I, think, I, I don't think Belichick will fall into that uh, trap of blitz, trying to blitz Mahomes and take it to him that way. I think he's going to play a cool, more cautious, steady game and, 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 uh, and push Mahomes to beat him, which I think ultimately they'll be able to. But I think as a result, they'll keep it tight and I think they can hurt them offensively. So yeah, Chiefs for the win, but maybe tighter than seven points is where I'm going there. Okay, all right. Let's move on to, to your Buffalo Bills. They're heading to Vegas, which I bet, bet, you, st- bet you still wish you were with them for that reason. I know. <laughs> oh, my so God. I was talking about this. So the, the, there is a genuine fear amongst NFL teams that there's going to, even with COVID going on, and I guess this kind of links to our point, uh, discussion earlier on, but there's a genuine fear in the first year of – a franchise, a team in Vegas of, of players really, really playing up, right? And, and I heard somebody on a show talking about this issue with in ice hockey in the NHL and saying that the same thing happened there, that teams were definitely at a disadvantage because players were going out and partying the first year that they were experiencing Vegas. I mean, is there, is there anything in that, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'd suggest so. I mean, again, looking back to the original point that you've got a bunch of young guys, right. a lot of them have come into money. They're, you know, they're, it's not like they're at university and they're kind of being babysat all the time. They are, they are in Vegas. <laughs> this, this is not exactly where I, I personally would not want to have a team there. No. I'd rather it almost be in the middle of nowhere and the guys had nothing to do. <laughs> that would be my safer option. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, so... Um, talk McDermott at first, right? Because you, you work with him, and you know you mentioned earlier on his lineage and, and, and Andy Reid, and you think about Reid's background as well, of course, from Holmgren and Holmgren going back to Walsh. So there is this brilliant coaching tree uh, and, and knowledge passed on, but then at the same time, coaches find in their own way, and, and that seems to be what what Coach McDermott has really done. I mean, from almost from the very beginning, he has been really highly regarded, but at the same time, not getting the same level of attention as someone like McVeigh or other coaches around him. So this is kind of interesting dynamic where he is really, really well thought of, but at the same time underrated. Yeah, exactly that. And, you know, one of the things I I kind of love about coach McDermott like that is look at the guys he has, look at the players he has on the team. Yes, we've got digs in now, but if you were to look at it, you probably wouldn't pick out any few that were really better than the other. He mm. wants everybody to be great, you know, or everybody to be working as one. And I think he kind of puts himself in that bucket as well. He's not looking to be, you know, this attention seeking big coach. He just wants to be working hard under the radar because truthfully that's where there's less distractions. Mm. And that's really the message he pushes to the team. I mean, when he first got to Buffalo, I think, I think we've talked about this before, when he first got to Buffalo, he literally brought the entire building into the meeting room. I'm talking ticket sales, marketing, front office, whatever it may be. 
And he let everyone know what the message was that he wanted, the culture that he wanted to create. And basically was like, look, this is what we're going to do. If you're not on board, you know, you're welcome to leave. And, and he stuck with that messaging throughout all these years. And mm. you can really see now how much it's paying off. Yeah, that it's such an interesting point. And, and we talk about Walsh. I mean, that was exactly how he approached San Francisco, right? He walked in and it's easy to forget, or if it's not, you know, that isn't your generation or you haven't looked back at it, that that 49ers team that Walsh inherited, walked into was a, was a mess. And he looked at the whole organization and, and from top to bottom and, and, and put his print on that. Uh, and that clearly is the, the direction that coach McDermott is, is gone in. And that's why when you look at these teams and you say, God, they're well coached or they seem really cohesive. They're really together. There's, there's a lot, <laughs> a lot to that, right? It's not as simple as, uh, as, as just the uh, calling the right plays and, and building the right playbooks is building the culture as well. Um, interesting start to the season for, for Buffalo really exciting because they are living up to the preseason billing of being clearly playoff contenders and contenders to win the AFC East. But what the hell happened in the second half against LA? I mean, in the end, in the end, uh, and, and that slightly shady call uh, kind of handed the, the advantage, the momentum in the end to Josh Allen and the offense, but they shouldn't have been in that situation in the first place. So breaking it down, looking back at it, was it just that the Rams were so much better and, and were causing so much confusion? What on earth went on defensively in the second half? No, and, and I think, unfortunately, I mean, it kind of looked, for me, it was almost like a flashback of some of the past years for the Bills where mm. we just beat ourselves. You know, it wasn't anything that anyone else did. It's us almost overanalyzing or just reacting correct, incorrectly. Um, and it just felt like we just made it so hard on ourselves. I mean, gosh, that, that game was like my heart was in my throat half the time. <laughs> <laughs> God, but luckily, yeah, saved by Tyler Croft with that touchdown to, to seal the deal. But oh, my goodness, it was, it was tough. You know, I think there were a lot of – there were missed tackles. There were some just – mental errors to be honest and and that's for me I think where the problems lied it's almost like if we switch off for a second or think that we're doing well or take our foot off the gas I should say then all of a sudden it just kind of bites us in the butt well the Raiders did that in a way as well almost tried to beat themselves again well did beat themselves ultimately against New England with um with the fumbles you know three turnovers from from three fumbles and Carr had a, a, a really mixed bag of a day because he was, and you know, I was looking back at some of the tape and he is one of the most elegant passes in, in the NFL. Like he can throw a ball with that, just that, that beauty and that fluency. And when he's doing that and you think, why isn't he a top six, top eight quarterback when he's on song? And then he does something maddening. And, and like a lot of players, I guess when he's under pressure, he's a very different type of player. Um, but the Raiders, yeah, they, were, they very much beat themselves in that game. But there were some positives. They averaged uh, almost six yards a carry against the Patriots. And I guess that's something that they will look at trying to exploit against Buffalo because that is uh, – uh, uh, looking at the defense, Phoebe, do you think that is the weaker link, if, if that's fair to say, that you can run on the Bills a bit? Yeah, and it's definitely something we're going to have Harrison Phillips back this weekend, mm. which will be – you know, that he's, he's huge for us in, in terms of the game and – you know, hopefully he'll be able to stop that run game. Obviously it takes everybody doing their job, but um, no, hopefully we're going to be able to stop that run game like that. I mean, like you're saying, I think Carr right now has a 74% passing rate. I mean, or um, completion rate and that's massive. Yeah. You know, I think, I think Josh is like 71.1. So just a little bit below, but yeah, you know, they both obviously have the opportunity to throw the ball, but defensively, I think they had, you know, the week before we'd had Edmonds and Milano who had been injured, um, mm. you know, so maybe they weren't 100% yet. But no, we're going to need our linebackers to be coming downhill and, and filling and our D-line to be definitely doing their job. Just leave the secondary to do what they're best at, which is hopefully getting picks. <laughs> <laughs> I know which way you're going here. Uh, you would not be able to show your face again on the show if you didn't pick Buffalo. But is it, uh, it going to be a straightforward win? Is it going to be close? You know, I... I think that the defense will, will be in a bit of trouble from last weekend. So I think they're going to be playing on point. Mm. You know, my hopes are always that the offense goes well, but it, it tends, the history has proven to us that actually the offense are the ones that take a bit longer to get going. So I don't think it's going to be straightforward. I think our defense will be fine, but I think offense might just take a little bit of time 
although we've been seven out of nine on road games. So this could be an exciting thing for us. And we're, we're road warriors at this point. <laughs> I guess you build up as well. And the more you, the more that streak goes, the more you start talking about it. And yeah. Oh yeah. It becomes part of our culture. <laughs> uh, it's a very Buffalo thing, right? It's uh, being a, a hard team to be on the road. Okay. I'm going bills as well. I, I, I love the bills. This, you know me, I've got a really sauce, real soft spot for the bills. And I, uh, I am glad to see them, as I say, living up to the billing and great to see Josh Allen. We didn't talk much about Josh Allen today, partly because Nikki Bandini was on our show on Monday when we were looking back at that game. Uh, we, we spent a lot of time talking about Josh Allen. So if you want some Josh Allen chat, head to the Monday pod if you haven't heard it already. Okay, next up, next 3-0 team, the Seahawks heading to Miami. So is this, Phoebe, going to be another game that Wilson, where Wilson lights it up? Or is there any chance this might be, might just be a trap game? Given Fitz looked back in business last week, uh, Devontae Parker's hamstring will have had another week of, of rest. And as we know, this Seattle team can be passed on. Although I think you've got to put a bit of an asterisk next to that stat, right? So a lot of talk in this, in this game, in the build-up to this game, that all well, Seattle are ranked 32 in terms of passing yardage. But that's a lot of that is to do with teams ch- chasing the game against Seattle this season and just piling up the yardage that way. But I still think irrespective of that, you can pass on him. So is there any way you can see a Miami, at least Miami making this competitive? Um, I mean, I would say perhaps the, the offense can help make it competitive. I think it's definitely going to be an offensive game for the Seahawks. You know, I worry about how the the Dolphins defense handle things. And again, still looking through these first few games, tackling has not been great. Mm. You know, we, we still had a lot of missed tackles basically due to the fact that they've not tackled since, you know, they last played in December or whatnot. But I just feel like this is definitely going to be Seattle, Seattle um, leading the way, you know, Fitz is, is terrific and he comes up with these incredible saves and plays but I've not been able to unfortunately see him be consistent like that multiple yeah. games on the trot. So that's really my big hesitation there. Which I guess is why he is where he is, the player that we love. And he's had, you know, and let's not, let's not knock the success he's had to endure that long in the NFL. But that's why I guess he hasn't ever moved on to be uh, a leading starter for most of his career. It's because of that consistency, right? He just can't, can't put it together that many times. It, it, Injury issues for the Hawks. Uh, Jamal Adams likely to be out. Chris Carson could be could be out as well. So, and the Finns are not great against the run. So, if Carson doesn't start, that or that out, then that will be kind of a tick in, in in Miami's box. It's a really different Seahawks we're seeing uh, this year. And again, that's something Nikki and I got into quite a lot in the show on Monday about the the shift from uh, uh, runs to pass ostensibly. And you look at over two years, it's about a ten percent shift in. Uh, they've really changed that up. But it's also, I think, more than that, Phoebe, the offense that's defining the team now, whereas, you know, this Pete Carroll Seahawks for years is, is, has obviously been defined by the Legion of Boom and, uh, and that era. But it seems very different this time around. Yeah, it definitely does. And, I mean, you know, I think Russell Wilson is a brilliant leader. And I, I really feel like people are, are just falling in love with this offense more and more. And it's getting more exciting um, so no, I'm interested to see what happens going forwards. I'm interested to see if that defense is going to halfway through the season, perhaps be feeling more like themselves, even looking at the stats, I just think building up their confidence again, um, and making them a lot more of explosive as a defense will be key to their success long run. Both picking the Hawks, I'm guessing after that last four minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that wasn't a tough one. Uh, go Finns though, I love you. Uh, all right. Uh, now the Packers, another 3-0 team hosting the 0-3 Falcons. How are the Falcons 0-3 is the obvious question. Uh, is Dan Quinn still in a job is the next question because we are recording this as I say Thursday afternoon. Uh, he'll probably be in the job for at least a week longer and poor guy. And then look, we're on a pile on. Uh, particularly a, a, a coach who's achieved so much as, as Quinn. It's easy to forget that when things aren't going to plan. Is there any way, any way at all, that he can turn this around? You know, it's really tough. And it's really tough to look at the last game and see how they went from being up like that to just ending with that result. I mean, it's, it's so frustrating. And, I'm sh- you know, obviously they're feeling these same frustrations but it's really also can be so toxic when you've lost three in a row like this, being in the facility, there's not a lot of positivity going on and you have to be such a strong leader, which I I know Dan Quinn is, 
but you have to be such a strong leader to keep that energy going, to keep the players engaged, to keep them, you know, going forwards because it's very easy for them to kind of check out now. Mm. You know, if you, if you don't win the next game, you're probably going to lose mentally a lot of the, the players, the staff. It's not an enjoyable experience for them either because mm. what, are you, what are you working towards, you know? So I, I, I want them to be successful. I want all of them to be able to, you know, win this game. But I, I just – I don't know if they're just on that tipping point where it could be a really negative situation. You know, what's interesting about this – and look, it's a huge ask to beat the Packers, right, given the form that, that Green Bay is in. But – Let's say they do. Let's say they pull a win out of uh, – and they can put points up on the Packers, right? They, you know, they yeah. demonstrate this offense that Gurley's looking uh, a lot more like his old self. That's a real positive. He had 5.7 he was averaging a carry against the Bears, and that's the Bears as well. Um, yeah. So – and Ryan, although he had a, a difficult day in the end against Chicago, has, has shown that he was without Julio and Ridley left halfway through the game. So they're a definite – they could definitely sucker punch here and, and then some – offensively so let's just just humor me for a minute they get past the pack right they've then got carolina minnesota detroit and then carolina again and then the broncos now there's no easy games ever in the nfl but you look at that and you think they could conceivably win four out of those five i mean you know that those are weak teams at the moment anyway right all of them so this we could suddenly be sitting here in a situation when they get a win on sunday against or monday night football against green bay uh, and they could be back in business. Yeah. And that could literally, like you've just said, almost be the messaging to the team right now, right? right. Is, let's get this win in. And then you could really get a positive chain of offense because like you said, those teams that you've listed are not in a great place right now. And we could, you know, they could really turn their entire season around. So that's what I mean. This, this game on Monday is going to be a tipping point for them. Um, even if you do win those next few games on the road, Mm, how does that actually benefit you? How does that, how does that really help your team from within? Uh, so just picturing now the Falcons in the play the Falcons in the Super Bowl. I've got it right here. <laughs> right now. That'd be amazing. Bad quid for coach of the year. I would love it. Nothing would be happier. I should just shut the haters up a little bit. Um, okay. Unlikely as it is though. Unlikely as it is. Unlikely is the word uh, we've already kind of applied to the Chicago bears, right? I mean, they are three and O. And they've already changed their starting quarterback. I mean, that's clearly never happened in the history of the, of the NFL before. Uh, Foles officially named as the starter on Monday by, uh, by the team, and no one's surprised with that. How much of an upgrade is he on, on Mitch Trubisky, do you think? You know, I mean, I've just been watching Mitch for a couple of years. We played against him a couple of times, and I think Foles is a really talented quarterback, and he's able to – read a defense quicker and better to be honest I Mm. think I think sometimes Mitch struggles with you know defenses that are kind of moving around um you know I think we've talked before because you've got the 15 seconds on the head on the headsets before things go live you know Mitch historically has had extra help in, in some ways from the coaches helping him to kind of see and recognize and I think Nick Foles you know he's just got such a more natural feel to it. And again, coming back to that, if you can see it and make that split second decision, that's already putting you ahead of, unfortunately, Trubisky in this situation. Mm-hmm. He's going up against uh, the Colts and therefore Frank Reich, who, and the two of them had great success in, in Philly. How much of a disadvantage is that realistic? Because that's a, that's a narrative you hear thrown around a lot, right? Oh, he knows all about Nick Foles from his time in Philly. Well, it was quite a few years ago. It's a different offense. So from a coaching perspective, Thieves, how, how significant is that familiarity in terms of, is that a big advantage for the Colts? You know, I wouldn't say it's that big of an advantage anymore. Perhaps if it was a more recent experience, you could say, yeah, I still know a lot of his weaknesses, but for the most part, you know, you're still going to watch him on film. You're still going to see where he is weakest and find what his strengths are, who his major targets are, because it's not just him, right? You still need to be looking at the offensive line, who's, who his weapons are. Those are going to play a bigger role as opposed to, well, yeah, I've known him, I've coached him, and I've seen him develop. I think you can maybe play a little bit on his mindset if you have an idea mm-hmm. of, of his decision-making, 
But again, he's in a totally different system now. You don't know what his reads are necessarily. You'd almost be better off talking to a coordinator and then you'd be better. <laughs> then you could say, yeah, I'll win this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I just certain things get, get overplayed, I think. And, but that was one of the, at least the interesting narrative going into it. The Colts look, have looked impressive, but against poor teams, right? Um, to be fair, is this River's first real test, this Bears D? You know, I, I think it will be. And it's not like he hasn't played them before um, in a different system. But again, mm. it's, you know, I, I love Rivers because he's always been one to kind of get up to the line, change plays. You know, he understands an offense. He understands a defense, more importantly. Um, and just to see him in a different environment, I actually quite enjoy it. I like it. I think the Bears are going to challenge him. Um, but Again, he's, he's a veteran in the league. As long as he can communicate to the rest of his players when he's changing these plays or, mm. you know, giving some sort of signals, I think he'll be all right. It's just making sure that they're all on the same wavelength. Whereas before, he was definitely on the same wavelength with his players because he'd been with them for so long. Mm. So I'd say that's probably the biggest difference here. So which way is this one going? Who are you picking? Oh, I'm going to have to say Bears. <laughs> you go, are you really? Yeah. That's an upset. Well, like, bears 4 and 0. I can't, I can't look. I'm going to wind up a lot of our Bears listeners. Hey, I've got nothing against you. Ben Isaacs, our, our friend, of course, is a super Bears fan. And uh, I'm in studio with him on Sunday, so I'll be winding him up. But I, I, I like the Colts for this one. Uh, yeah, I'm going, I'm going Colts. In Rivers, we trust. I'm with you. I like Phil Rivers. And uh, I, like, I like the fit there. I think in, they're going to be serious this season, Indy. Uh, okay, speaking of serious, the Steelers looking uh, looking good. Uh, 3-0, and as are the Titans. Now, as we said at the top, this game isn't happening on Sunday, but we're going to role play to assume and assume it does happen this week. Tennessee are looking strong again, aren't they? I mean, Henry had a 100 yards average for the first couple of weeks, but wasn't really in gear. And then that suddenly clicked last week against Minnesota over 100 yards, two touchdowns. His yards per carry w- was up significantly. Tannehill looked good as well with that A.J. Brown. And again, you look at some of those, look at the box score and you think, well, Tannehill didn't have any touchdowns and he threw a pick. But he was motoring at times then. And I just like the balance of, of, of this side. I really do. I think Tennessee have made the right calls in, in the offseason, re-upping Henry, re-upping Tannehill. It just seems to really fit. And we go back to what we were saying about Coach McDermott. Frables, it seems to be exactly the same kind of guy, right? He just has a very clear vision and identity and composure about him. There's no razzmatazz. There's no sort of mouthy press conferences. None of that nonsense. He just gets on with it. And they seem to be a really, really well-coached team. Yeah, and I totally agree. I mean, and I mean, just having Henry alone, I mean, it takes at least two people to tackle him. So, (laughs) I mean, that's like a weapon in its own right. You mean, you literally have to game plan your entire defense around where he is, what's what's he doing? Because we've seen him line up multiple places now throughout the years. So, no, I think it's a, I think it's a exciting team. Again, Babel has been so consistent throughout um, with his messaging, with the way that he coaches his players and, you know, again, another kind of under the radar guy who just wants to put in that hard work and time, which I, I really value that. Big time. I, I, I mean, go back, kind of join a few points. And I know Dan Quinn is much more experienced and has been in the job a long time, but I remember early on in Tennessee and things weren't going to plan and people were saying, well, Brable's on the hot seat. Let's get rid of him. And, you know, it's testament to just persevere a little bit and give people time to, to build what they want to do. Uh, that never used to be the way in the NFL that coaches got jacked after a year. You know, that's European football, right? That's not what the NFL was like. It's changed a lot now. The more pressure's immense now. Yeah, massively. And I think that's, it's, it's a sign of the times, right? I mean, in terms of, we as people want instant results without the work put in and we're expecting that from our sports teams. Okay. Well, they're not doing well, get someone else in. That's how it works, but that's not how this operates. It is all about building and the culture. And truthfully, a lot of that comes from the top down in terms of who your ownership is. Right. And if your ownership believe that, you know, Oh, right. Well, okay. We're not successful. We need to get rid of this guy what are you going to do? That's the culture that you're putting forward to your team, but it's never going to give you time to get into a rhythm. And, Mm. you know, even coach McDermott said, and I know I always go back to him, but you know, the first year they were really successful in Buffalo. The second year they were not so successful. Mm. And that's the hardest time because that would have been a really easy time for the Pagoulas to say, Hey, 
sorry, get out of here. But they have to believe in the process as much mm. as you do as a football team. Yeah, big time. Um, two lines on this, and then we've got to rattle through our other picks because time is against us, sadly. So uh, we talked about <laughs> Henry definitely got, got to get a lot of attention. But this Pittsburgh D is good at defending the right. It's a good defense all round, right? But they're holding runners down to three yards per carry so far. Uh, and they're the league leaders in the NFL in sacks as well. Although the Titans O-line, despite Conklin going in the offseason, is, is holding up well. Uh, so that's going to be fascinating, the battle in the trenches here, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's an amazing stat. Three yards is nothing, you know, considering we were just talking about, um, you know, teams getting six or seven yard to carry. Yeah. Three yards is really what you, what you want, right? You want a hat for a hat in the run game, which is what we always say. And they are actually living up to that. So I'm loving the way that they're being coached right now. I'm loving how aggressive they are and they're filling. And, you know, I think that that is also going to make this game really quite exciting because, you know, the Steelers come from a really exciting, you know, getting involved, really getting in the nitty gritty element as well. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm pumped for this one. <laughs> this one's for the purists, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame that, that COVID's affected it. And, and, and just following your logic earlier on, I think, Tennessee are gonna it will be a, an impressive performance if they can get the win given what they've gone through this week so I think that's just shaded this towards the Steelers if it if it hadn't been you know if we had a normal week I think I might have been leading Tennessee but I think I'm gonna lean Pittsburgh with this one because of that build-up yeah and I don't I don't particularly want to agree with you on all of these but I do think that it makes a big difference when you've got especially some of your star guys out you've got some of the staff out um unfortunately COVID is is teetering me towards the Steelers on this one as well. Okay. We might have some difference now as we rattle through the rapid fire ones, right? Vikings, Texans. So it's the same old Texans, right? They're allowing uh, the top five, I think in terms of allowing pressure, uh, they're not protecting their brilliant quarterback. Once again, there's a lot of things to like about Houston. They've had mm. this ridiculous start to the season. Um, and although Dalvin cook, uh, you know, looked in, in good shape last week and could really kickstart this, this Minnesota offense in this season, I'm leaning Houston for the win here. Yeah, I'm going to say the same. I think it's going to be a really exciting game in terms of, I think it's actually going to come to down to who has the ball last. I think it's going to be a close game. Um, you know, both of them are kind of in desperate need of a win. So I'm going to say really it's who has the ball last and I'm going to put Watson over Cousins, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. Uh, Giants Rams next up. Before we pick that, I've got a question from... Social media for you, BB. Uh, thanks to Dai John for this one at the NC Show Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. He said, in the first half of the Giants game versus the 49ers, a graphic came up saying the Giants D was the best in the league on first down in terms of yards allowed. But on second down, it was ranked 25th. And third down, he couldn't remember exactly 31st or 32nd, right? Mm. Uh, what Can Phoebe explain why there's such a dramatic drop-off uh, from first, second, and third down stoppages and an and ability to stop? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it comes down to the straight pressure of it, you know, and, and a lot of times you're moving down the field, so how much space you've actually got allowed, um, depending on what your defensive coordinators, like what their philosophy is, mm. are they going to defend the sticks on third down? Um, and also a lot of teams have a kind of thought process in offense well, I can kind of go for it on first down. And if I'm successful, great. Otherwise, I've got second and third to make up those yards. Mm. Um, and then last, the last element of it is how much do you practice first and second and third downs within your practice scheme? Mm. Um, and that's something at least, you know, at the NFL level, you should be doing a lot of. You should be really – you basically script all your plays. So making sure how many times you're scripting first – down plays, second down plays, and making that realistic to a game. What does that actually look like? How many times are you actually in those areas? Um, and what is your emphasis? What is your philosophy when it comes to those, those different areas? So yeah, it, it's, uh, it's tricky because, you know, you can always be better in those areas, but when the pressure mounts, you know, they always call third down your money down, right? It's right. not called that for nothing. So <laughs> right. you, need to, you need to pull through on that. Uh, and the Giants need to pull something out of the bag. Thanks for that great answer, by the way, Di. I hope that uh, answers your question. Uh, the Giants have got to pull something out of the bag. Otherwise, this season is going into the skids fast. And I don't think they get the win against the Rams. I think uh, heartbreaker for the Rams at the end last week. But they looked good last week for the second half of the game. They looked good for me this season uh, in a lot of different ways, year on year. 
I'm, I'm into Greg Rosenthal was selling me on LA before the start of the season. I wasn't buying it, but I am now. So <laughs> uh, this has got to be a straightforward win for LA, right? Yeah, massively. I mean, the Giants are clearly struggling to find their identity on offense without Barkley there. I mean, that's what a massive loss for him. Um, and the defense shows the same deficiencies that they have last year, unfortunately. Uh, and then, you know, I'd say this is a home game. McVay seems to have rediscovered his offense and, and Donald continues, continues to be the most <laughs> dominant player in the NFL right now. So I think it's going to be a comfortable win for, for LA at home. Did Josh Allen, was it, did he face Mark Donald? Or was it Brock? Was it someone? It was just unbelievable. Oh. I went up in my estimation by doing that. I know it was a foul, but hey, to have the guts <laughs> to do that against an Aaron Donald-led defense, <laughs> fair play. Um, speaking of heavyweight defenders, no Chase Young for Washington. Uh, the rookie already looks like the real deal. Uh, so they don't have a chance in hell against the Ravens, do they? <laughs> no, what an upset that is to have. I mean, Chase Young has been incredible as a player. I think I was looking before he has like two and a half sacks, forced fumbles, six solo tackles, or maybe eight now. I'd have to double check again. But I mean, what an impressive rookie. And then to have, have him go out with a, a groin strain, is it? Ah, it's just, it's tough. I'm going to have to say it just Ravens, just based off yeah. of that. But <laughs> <laughs> this game out of any game this season, they're going in without Chase Young. And the Ravens have got a bloody nose, of course, after Monday. So oh, they're going to, they're going to be bearing their teeth. That's going to get messy. I love the Bucks this season, uh, Phoebe. I really do. They are sitting first in the NFL in expected points allowed per play, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, the best defense in the league, uh, Pro Football Focus goes on to argue because of that stat through the first three weeks of the season. Now, I'm not sure whether we can necessarily make that jump, but we can all agree that this is a strong defense underpinning the offense that, again, everybody's talking about and is getting better week on week. They're rolling now. I think they, they pick up another win here at home against the, against the Chargers, and I think the Bucks are, are the real deal. What about you? Yeah, and I completely agree. I mean, I think, you know, Brady and all of them are really starting to click, like you were saying, and it, it does take time. And I think people thought Brady would come in and things would be, you know, right away, he would be changing it. But actually, you know, I think it's definitely a, a slower process and, and that's fine. Um, and also, you know, a, historically, a lot of West Coast teams have struggled coming to the East Coast. And mm. even though the Chargers defense is strong, uh, I do I do think that this is going to be a win for the Bucs, which I'm excited about. I like them a lot. Yeah, yeah, me too. All right, Saints-Lions. This one's in Detroit. Uh, Saints are still, of course, trying to, I think, find their flow on both sides of the ball, and Michael Thomas being out hasn't helped that, and people saying Breeze has fallen off a cliff. Ridiculous, but they're still saying that. <laughs> there might be an issue with the deep ball. Uh, interesting stat I saw on this that, the only players in the NFL this season with more targets than Alvin Kamara, right? Through the first three weeks, mm. DeMondre Hopkins, Amari Cooper, Keenan Allen, Ridley, and Alan Robinson, which, wow. which, yeah. So heavily reliant on Alvin Kamara, I think is the yeah. so far, but you know, we've got to put the context of Michael Thomas. So I, I think, I think the saints get the win here. I can't work out Detroit. It wouldn't surprise me if they, they got it rolling, got their offense rolling, and because the Saints' defense can get got at and, and put up some points. So I think it could be quite a high-scoring affair, but I, I like the Saints on the road. What about you? Yeah, and I think, you know, I think the win for the Lions last week was massive, but I don't really think their organization's in a great place right now. I think right. that, you know, and, and that will definitely have an effect coming down. So for me, you know, even if people are saying that Drew Brees is – you know, unable to push the ball vertically or whatever it may be. I, I think that the Saints will definitely get this one. Um, and, you know, he's, he's a pro at the end of the day. He is a veteran who's been around and he can read these situations. He can read these defenses and he's got weapons. So, yeah, I'm going to say Saints. What about Browns Cowboys? I mean, I think that's going to be another points fest. And Denzel Ward could be out for, for the Browns, which would be a huge blow. So I think both teams can, can put it up. I, I guess I'm buying into Dak more than Baker, if I want to overly simplify it, in, in a game where I think both defenses are fallible. The Cowboys have got a lot of, of injuries, of course, which haven't helped that. And their, their O-line offensively is not what it used to be. No doubt about that. But it, I still feel more confident and comfortable picking Dak Prescott over Baker Mayfield any day of the year. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm, I'm struggling right now because I do agree with you. I think Dak at home versus Mayfield on the road is, you know, kind of an obvious one. Um, however, I've been really – I think we've seen two versions of the Browns right now, right? I mean, they've been totally different teams these three games. Mm. So 
I think defensively the Browns could, could be really impactful. Um, I just, I just don't know how they'll favor on the road. And I think Dak will, will really take that one home for him. Um, even if they've got a great pass rush up against Dak, I still think that the Cowboys are probably going to be the ones, but I, I want the Browns. I want to root for the Browns. I want them to finally be good. They've got so many weapons, so much talent. Yeah. It's like, but that's almost the problem, isn't it? There's too much talent, too many egos that they can never, I mean, literally I was at their Browns. I'm going off track, but I was at the Browns game last year. They were bickering on the field. Mm. I mean, and it's in the middle of a game. Mm. You just can't do it. So yeah. They were, I get, they're hoping that that you know everyone said that's Freddie Kitchens' fault. You know he can't run him properly. He's not. He's not a head coach. And and Stefanski so far, as you say, it's quite Jekyll and Hyde. Beckham's Beckham is is really intriguing. I say that for another day. Why Beckham is just not the player he used to be, and whether he just needs to get out of there and just find a new find a new challenge. Uh, I so you're picking Cowboys, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so we're agreeing, we're agreeing on all of that. I know. <laughs> Probably not going to disagree on this one either, because the, the Arizona are beating Carolina all day, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, Kyle, Kyler Murray's been just mesmerizing when he's been running the ball. And, and while he's shown an instant connection with, with Hopkins, you know, he's still showing signs of being a young quarterback, but, you know, with obviously too many turnovers. But, mm. you know, Carolina's been a bit competitive in, in two of the three games. Um, and Mike Davis provided solid replacement value for, um, yeah, yeah, look good. yeah, but the defense is still incredibly young and, and been exposed multiple times, unfortunately. Mm. So yeah, <laughs> good say cards. Cards again. <laughs> all right. We got two more, I think by my counting, although Harry will shout at me if, uh, if I've got <laughs> it wrong, uh, Eagles Niners, uh, the Niners, as we know, completely banged up. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, is it the, the, into the word unprecedented has been used so much this year. Uh, but it, it, have you ever seen a team this early on in the season with this many injuries to, to such key players? No. And I mean, I, I definitely think that has to do with this off season and not mm. having, you know, yes, obviously they went longer into with obviously the Super Bowl, but I think this off season has played a massive role for them. You know, if they weren't in, able to get in the building and doing their prehab and rehab work, and then obviously the actual contact or not contact levels, but the movement patterns throughout. But, you know, I mean, really both teams are, are kind of banged up right now. So right, right. <laughs> well, sure. It's a fair point, actually. The Eagles are close second in that respect as well. I mean, looking at the injury reports, Kittle might be back. Jordan Reed's the latest to go down. Um, he's out for a couple of months, apparently, uh, Jordan Reed. So let's have a look. So Garoppolo is his ankle. Mostert and Tevin Coleman, their knee. Bosa and Solomon Thomas are, are both out for the season, of course, because they're both ACL injuries. Kittle uh, could come back. That's a knee injury as well. I mean, yeah, this is just uh, a decimation as far as the Niners are concerned. Uh, Iron Man football, I think. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know which one I'm going to pick this one. I'll, let, I'll tell you, what, I will let you pick first. Okay. I mean, if they get if they get Kittle back for this weekend, mm. I'm going to say San Fran. But if they can't, <laughs> I'm going to say Eagles. Can I base it like that? <laughs> I love it. Yes, you are. You're allowed that one. You're allowed one of those. <laughs> I think that I, I, I kind of have to agree with you. I, I suppose that that Wentz looked all over the show, but I did like his moxie to run in for the score that took it to took it to overtime last week. We were chatting on the Monday show just about how ridiculous it was that they didn't go for, for the win. You know, and they settled for the tie, which is just at this stage of the season, crazy. And you talk about losing the, uh, you know, momentum, losing the locker room and losing focus. I mean, that must have had a huge bearing. If you're a player, like, why the hell are we doing this? Like, I mean, that, so I, I'm, on that basis, I've, I'm going to go Niners. Kittle or no Kittle? There you go. <laughs> San Francisco for the win. Um, yeah. And then Jags Bengals, uh, the final game uh, to pick. What have you made of Joe Burrow so far? I really like him, actually. Mm. I think he's been great. Um, you know, I think he's, he's a young player. There's still room for improvement, of course. But actually, as a rookie coming in and with everything that's gone on in the offseason, I'm really impressed with, with how he's doing it. And I'm I'm excited to see him more so next year and see how having a season under his belt treats him. But um, yeah, I think he's, he's definitely continuing to show why he was a number one pick. That's for sure. I agree. You know, there are certain players that quarterback specifically that early on in their career, whatever they're doing specifically on the field in terms of uh, productivity 
just have a certain air about him, right? So I remember Mahomes early on, he just had this, I think it was in, I think it was when the penny drop was in that game against the Patriots when they, when they slugged it out and the Patriots won in the end, but he just looked fearless. He didn't look phased at all by this. And I know he'd had a bit more time, obviously sitting under Alex Smith for a bit, but Burrow just has that vibe about him that he's just already belongs. He's not worried about what's going on. He's just totally composed. And, uh, and obviously that's something you want in your quarterback, but it's not a given. I, I think some quarterbacks grow into that, don't they, yeah. as pros, but some just seem to have it from day one. And he definitely does. I think he gets his first win. And I'm hoping for that. I don't think it's going to be a clean win. Don't get mm. me wrong. Um, but I actually, I really hope for this to be his first real win. Uh, okay. I think we managed to agree on every game. Yeah. <laughs> I should have been the Eagles. There you go. I've watched the Eagles win now. Uh, there we go. I think we've rattled through all the games. We've locked and loaded you for week four. Uh, Phoebe, it's great to catch up with you. Thanks so much for dropping by. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to catch up. Eden and the Jigs is the book. As I say, we'll push that out on social media. Great job with that. Great job with everything you're rolling. Come back and see us soon, yeah? Thank you so much. Lovely stuff from Phoebe. We will push out on our social channels uh, a link to the Eden and the Jukes book. It is well worth a read. Uh, and we look forward to catching up with her very, very soon. Enjoy week four, gang. If you're Steelers or Titans fans, I hope you get a game. We're going to be back Monday looking back or what I'm sure will be another whirlwind Sunday of NFL football. We will see you then. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.